Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. We're uh, kicking off 2022 with our second episode. and very special guest. This is the second guest I ever had four years ago. And, you know, here we are almost 200 episodes later. I'm excited to welcome back Jennifer Davis, who is no longer in Portland, but is the chief marketing officer of Learfield IMG, and also the author of a new book, Well-Made Decisions, Pro Tips for Finishing the Decisions You Start. Hey, Jennifer. Hi, it's great to be here. I know. It's just, uh, I was excited to have you back on because, you know, again, you were the one of the first people that raised their hand like, Dan, I'll give this a shot. Let's do it. And I, either um, for better or worse, I kept doing it. <laughs> so I love it. Well, congratulations. 200 episodes. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I think there's so many things I want to get into with you about marketing. Obviously, you've had a couple roles since you've been here in Portland. Um, but I really want to dig into this book, uh, obviously the content, but you also had a really unique approach to writing it, promoting it, getting y- your community involved, which I thought was really cool, which um, obviously I, I participated in that. And, and thank you for getting the opportunity to do that. So let's just start with the book. I'd love for you just to give a, a little blurb about your book and we'll go from there. Oh, that sounds great. Well, it was very much a labor of love. Um you know, writing a book had been on my bucket list for a little while. Maybe you and I had even talked about Mm -hmm. it at one point as another way to kind of share some thoughts and experiences and kind of mentor at scale. And um, so this bucket list item plus the pandemic kind of came together for me. And I thought now is the time to do it. And so here, um, here's, here's my shameless plug, Uh well-made decisions. Um, The book is about the importance of not only making, but implementing decisions well. And I think as um, as business leaders, we think about business decisions and we kind of over-rotate on the process that led to a choice being made as if it's a discrete event. And we will go back and judge it as that was a good decision or a bad decision. But anyone of us who has implemented especially complex, multi-threaded projects like mergers and acquisitions or major strategic investments and the like, startups can tell you 
that the decision is not the finish line, it's the starting line. And so this book is really about how to think about the broader life cycle of decisions. And the title itself, Well-Made Decisions, is a bit of a play on words, this idea that you make a decision like that you make a choice, but then that decision is made, it's crafted, it's continuing um, to kick off a variety of work streams and and other priorities as as the decision goes into implementation. So um, it's been really uh, humbling and uh, a really satisfying journey to be able to put some of these thoughts that have bounced around in my head for a while, uh, put pen to paper. And then, you know, I don't want to give away uh, too much of the book. You have some great examples from specific companies and decisions, but maybe for folks that, you know, encourage everybody to go purchase it, of course, some kind of broad strokes and themes uh, as we get sure. into it. Well, there's themes that, that I focus on that are things that you can do when you're, ma- when you're contemplating options that will lead to better execution. So there's a big emphasis in the book around um, writing out your strategy. There's a big emphasis in the book on making sure that the right people are involved and you kind of have the talent density in your organization to to pull off (laughs) Mm -hmm. what you might envision. And then as the book continues, it focuses on communication and driving clarity and even being able to strategically compromise to achieve the vision of where you're heading, even if you have to be a little flexible in some of the details. So anyway, that's kind of the the narrative structure of the book. And each chapter breaks down some what I've called pro tips, things that either I've learned and in my own practice as a business mm-hmm. leader and practitioner, but also in interviews and research that I did for the book, things that are helpful and can serve as a bit of a, a checklist or reminder for business leaders as they're contemplating decisions. And then again, more appropriately shepherding those, you know, right. to the results, um, which come afterwards. And there's quite a few examples in the book of Portland area companies, mm-hmm. because I lived in Portland for decades and really started my career uh, at, you know, working at a startup in the Johns Landing area, mm-hmm. moving on to uh planar when we did only like embedded components we were an ingredient to somebody else's medical device or gas pump working at intel working back at planar as we got more into um, digital signage and expanded our strategy and purchase companies like clarity visual systems Mm -hmm. also a, a portland company and then eventually were acquired and so i was able to kind of weave some of those stories into into the book and i had a chance to talk to many others that are in my network. So there's s- stories from leaders at Tektronix. There's stories um, from, you know, the past president of Warner Pacific University. like lots of different perspectives. So uh, any of your Portland listeners will yeah. find a lot of familiar names and faces uh, in the book. And I'm, again, I'm so pleased that I was able to tap into these mentors and experts that have spoken to my career and, yeah. and bring them into the book. Well, then you left us, Jennifer. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so sorry. Greetings no, from all, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think one of the things you, you mentioned, mentorship, and I think this book serves at the highest level of leadership, but I know what's important uh, to you, getting to know you when you were here, is that mentorship is for these young leaders 
And I think this book hit spot on for them too. And I know that was a lot of, you dedicated a lot of your time when you were here to nonprofits and mentoring folks. Um, if we're, maybe if there's a young leader listening to this or more specifically, if there's someone who manages a team of first time managers, I think this is a book obviously um, would get a lot of value out of. What are some of the things you can you can share about decision-making then, especially in the light of, if you're onboarding employees now, like if you're a knowledge worker, you probably never met them in person a lot of the times, right? So, <laughs> especially if they've joined in the past couple of years, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think we there's some additional challenges, uh, you know, that are coming in for managers of talent um, in organizations for sure. But it's interesting as I think about my own career project um, kind of journey and, you know, the journey that I've hopefully been able to, you know, partner and be, play a small part of in, in other people's careers, decision-making permeates everything. When you're first starting out your career, maybe you're not making big investment decisions for the mm -hmm. company, but you're still making decisions every day for the things that you're entrusted with. And even at, at the very least, you're you manage your own time, you manage your own energy, yeah. and you manage what you focus on and what you give attention to. And those can be very strategic decisions that affect your career progression and the opportunities that you'll face moving forward. And then over time, you, as you said, start to be the manager of other individuals or the manager mm -hmm. of other managers, and, and it goes on and on. And as the scope as your scope increases, is essentially you're just put in charge of more resources to manage. But the themes are quite the same. Right. If you if your um, you know individuals who are really great at managing their time will likely be very good at coaching others and organizations and marshalling the resource of an organization toward the things that matter. So the themes are quite similar, although obviously the scope changes over time. And hopefully, you know, whether it's a student in high school or in college or somebody, you know, moving, you know, into their professional career or uh, moving into early management, they're taking time to evaluate what served them well and add to their tool kit over time. And again, what I'm hoping is the book is becomes part of that toolkit. And maybe they can learn some lessons from others and have to, you know, avoid learning the lesson themselves the hard way. <laughs> well, absolutely. And you said something that kind of really resonated with me. And I think it's important maybe to dig into managing your own energy. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? And I think that's maybe shifted as in light of we're still, you know, going through and just how things are, are changing. I think that could be is more important than ever. Yeah, I think so too. Well, I think there's there's a lot to unpack there, um, and I'm sure many of your other guests will be um, have different perspectives on, on this that you've probably already, you know, covered in your series. But what I would say is that for me, it starts with an understanding of where my highest and best work is. I'm a big fan of. Um, style assessments and other tools that allow you to kind of reflect on maybe what you're good at. I, I, you know, I've rolled out with my team Gallup's Clifton Strengths or um, Insights Discovery or Colby or other tools like that. And 
I find them useful because they help you maybe articulate in words where your highest and best work is, the things that give you energy, the things that when you work on them, they actually prevent burnout. Mm. And I feel like right now, not only do organizations have a responsibility to do this, but individuals need to really reflect on, I don't know, what, what, uh, what lights you up? Yeah. And where do you feel like you are contributing the most? And lean into those things. And every single person as part of their job can shift a little more energy and time and resource to the things that, that not only are personally satisfying, but chances are will lead to better business results because you're kind of like working from your strengths. So that's, that's when I say energy, that's kind of what I mean. I also know that there are other dimensions, you know, people focused on physical health or nutrition and like all of that is very good. I probably need to learn more lessons in those areas than I could teach at this point. But I do feel like um, it comes from first a self-reflection yeah. and then, and then making strategic choices every day. And, and that manifests itself into very specific mechanisms. Like for instance, when I had thought, here are some of the things in my business life that I want to prioritize. I am personally fired up whenever I get to talk to a customer, client, or partner. I love that external interaction. But I'm in a role where I could easily get distracted by internal things. I, that's just the nature of, of my work. So I color code my calendar. And so that at a glance, I can see, am I dedicating enough time to my direct staff to my peers in the organization, to special strategic projects I'm working on, and to customer-client partner interactions. And yeah. if I ever feel like it's out of balance, I can just kind of, at a glance, take a snapshot. So those are, like, I never would do that if I weren't wasn't strategic in the front right. about what I want to accomplish and where I want to spend my time and energy. Well, it's very on point right now, uh, obviously. I, I, mean, I hate to be a headline kind of... Uh, regurgitator about the great, great resonation. And you see a lot of people are just doing that, just doing that, you, you know, just, <laughs> okay, I evaluated, I'm out. But if there was some preventative kind of work from their leaders or even them, themselves, right, to do that, maybe they want to just bounce like that. There's a strategy yeah. behind retention. So I think you're ahead of the curve as a leader to, to do that. But it's, it's, again, super relevant right now. Well, and I think that you're exactly right. I, I hear and see the same thing about the great resignation I read an article and I went, I, I'm not sure who to credit for it, but it was not my idea, but that uh, the great resignation actually is the great reflection. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hoping is that people are, are moving towards something, not away from something. That's what you always mm -hmm. hope. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if, if, if anybody feels like they need to make a career change, and I've made some, including one that took me away from Portland, right. as hard of a decision as that was, it wasn't a move away from anything. I enjoyed my colleagues. I loved my work. I was passionate about our customers um, and the technology and the innovation and what we were doing. Um, but there was some strategic things that I decided were important moving forward to me. So out of that reflection came a change. And, and that's... And, Actually, that reflection can cause you to change and grow in place, too. Mm -hmm. So, again, for anybody out there considering 
resigning or making a change. Again, I'm not here to discourage you or encourage you one way or the other, but often people will leave opportunities on the table at the place they're leaving because they never ask the question, could I change careers here? Could I be a bigger leader here? Could I get professional development here? Mm -hmm. And if you don't ask the question, you're always looking externally, people might not know that that how they can invest in you. So there's yeah. the challenge. Sure. And I mean, for the, you, you mentioned for the folks looking as the data shows, it's about 70 to 80% of us looking for something else potentially. So I think it's really good advice to kind of look first internally. So, um, you know, I, I want to talk a shift into marketing because that's, you know, you're, you have s- such great experience in that in your new role, but, um, just, you know, getting back to a little bit of a leadership and, and things, uh, again, you said you were at Planar, you uh, had a leadership role at uh, Amazon during the pandemic. Um, what are some, some lessons you've just learned personally as a, as a leader this past year and a half or whatever it's been? Oh, well, it was interesting. I joined Amazon prior to the pandemic and I had a very distributed team. I, uh, worked as part of Amazon Web Services in a leadership role. And so my team was all over the country, literally all four time zones in the U.S., plus mm-hmm. colleagues all over the world. And, uh, you know, my my bosses and, and leadership teams were in Seattle and various places. And, and um, so I was already kind of in this remote distributed how to get stuff done mm-hmm. space. I, I would joke that when um, when I wasn't on Delta Airlines, I was <laughs> in Atlanta. That's yeah. that's where I live now. But after the pandemic, the big difference I noticed is that my secret productivity advantage as a primarily remote employee went away because everyone else was walking from meeting to meeting and had two or three minutes of of transition time, or get, again just had a commute. Yeah. And I didn't have those things. And then everybody had. And we went from meeting to meeting to meeting. And, you know, it was kind of this, we went from something where the remote employees actually, in my experience was that I was actually more productive. Um, I went from that to this, the schedule was re- relentless. Yeah. We ignored time zones. We, I, so I feel like there was a, there was a, Pendulum swing one way, and then a very conscious pendulum swing. At at Amazon, um, there were whole teams that were sending days for designated no meeting days, mm. just to allow people to to focus. Um, you know, there were there were other uh, meetings uh, and practices where not everything had to be a video conference, and you know, uh, just tools that people are are now p- familiar with and putting yeah. in place. But some of that you know, existed. Um, and I think some organizations were obviously better prepared for all of it. Um, but in terms of kind of zooming out on marketing, I think, you know, depending on where your marketing organizations tend to, um, work well in distributed organizations because you want to be close to the customer and -hmm. customers are not all located in your headquarters city, most likely. Um, and so whether it's, you know, you're a regional or national or multi, uh, you know, national or global company, you're likely to need to get out anyway. Yeah. 
And so I think of, uh, I actually think in a lot of ways, if we had maintained our access to customers and diminished our access, you know, internally, um, we would have come out very much ahead on this. And so I, I actually think, you know, we're already seeing as these things come back. And I, I now work in a, um, media and technology company, Learfield, that works in the collegiate sports space. Mm-hmm. And in college, um, here, colleges are back. Games, yeah. stadiums, the, you know, are, are being filled. And, but, but there is a building it back in a new way that's happening. And uh, so that's exciting to see. And when did you start your new role there? I started in March of last year. Okay. And um, as you can imagine, it's been a wild ride. Um, (laughs) I have in my career, I've I've been in several different industries. So I I love the thrill of the steep part of the learning curve and uh, was able to, you know, jump in and and learn more about this collegiate space. Learfield, our, our business is we provide a variety of services to educational institutions, including being their sponsorship represent, representation. We also do publishing. We do media, mm-hmm. uh, licensing, ticketing, a, a whole variety of services for institutions. And, and based on those relationships, then we can um, connect fans of those institutions to brands. Yeah, um, And so... Um, it's been it's been a real fun space, and so I've been able to dip my toe into something that you know so well, and and a yes. world that you've lived in. So it's it's been fun to uh, to dive into that. But again, from this perspective of building it back in a different way, we're seeing brands um, think differently about their holistic integrated marketing programs, where it's not just about on site activations in the stadium or just hospitality events around a game, but mm-hmm. they want to connect with the fan, you know, 365, seven days a week, be a part of their life and experience. And, and it's, um, shifting the, the, the offerings that we have in the marketplace and what yeah. the solutions that we can provide. So that's been really a, a fun thing to see completely accelerated. Yeah. And I know for what you do, that the breadth and depth of everything you do, uh, because I've, you know, obviously know as a Duck alumni, I know you have a great partnership with them and, you know, run a a lot of their kind of media properties too and the the website, but also the the content piece. It's just, it can be a little overwhelming for, I think, smaller companies maybe uh, who are trying to make that turn because you have to have that media company mindset almost a little bit, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I know uh, advice for kind of smaller companies that are trying to the recognizing that and maybe trying to catch up a little bit or or I don't know what some some advice you well, have for that. Well, I I think it all comes back to an obsession, an absolute obsession about the customer. It's actually a, a theme of the book, something I feel like really got um reinforced in my time with Amazon, because it's such a big theme, nothing should be done in your organization unless it adds value to a customer. And it's easy to say and very hard to live out. But that obsession and um, 
the nimbleness and the curiosity and the really the tenacity to listen to customers to really understand what problem they have, what their pain is, um, identify opportunities that they might not even be able to tell you what they need, but they right. can tell you what's wrong. Um, and then having the willingness to to do those things, I think the companies that have pivoted quickly and have thrived in the pandemic are are ones that demonstrate those behaviors. Because um, you just couldn't, I mean, you literally couldn't do it the old way. So yeah. you had to do something different. And the ones who had deeper customer insights um, had solutions right out of the gate that won. That is such great insight. And when I, and I look at your career, I think that's why you've been able to go to different industries, right? I think yeah. it's probably a big part of it. And I, I know like you do, we talk to peers or your, your peers of yours at that level that are, they have a hard time jumping to a different industry. And I think this kind of mindsets probably, I'm sure help a lot. Yeah. Well, it, it helps you. I think Steve Jobs called it a beginner's mindset. You know, it helps you to keep a beginner's mindset if you literally are a beginner. I, I joke in meetings, I know everyone in this room has forgotten more about sports marketing than I might ever know. So let me ask a few naive questions. And often some of them will be like, yeah, we've done that. Or, oh, yeah, we already have that in our portfolio. And you just hadn't, hadn't encountered that yet. But other times they'll be like, hmm, you, you bring up a really good point. Maybe we should do something different. And I think... You know, that's that's the value, I guess, of being an outsider. Um, yeah. And, you know, you want to onboard and get to expert status as quickly as possible, but you don't want to lose that naivete that at least keeps you asking the questions. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't have a problem asking questions, so hopefully that'll serve me well at some point in my life. But Jennifer, thanks so much uh, for coming back on the podcast. Where can uh, folks just learn about more about your book? Sure. Um, I stood up a website at wellmadedecisions.com with more information about the book and a lot of the inspiration, reading other reading list materials. So if you really want to geek out on decision making, there's other resources there. And um, other things like uh, some of the proceeds from the book go to fund a, a scholarship. And so you'll find information about that as well. And uh, I I want to thank you for being a, a early supporter of me through this publishing process. It was really awesome to have this author community that, that was able to kind of get in early and, and to keep track as, as I went through the writing and editing and rewriting and rewriting <laughs> process. Um, and some, some folks, including some business leaders there in Portland, were some of my beta readers and provided feedback along the way, all of which, again, helped deliver something that I'm, that I'm quite proud of. Yeah. And I will say before we go, it was a really unique thing because you, you, you cr created this community and you kept us updated every step of the way while you were writing it. And then here's yeah. the, you know, so I thought that was really cool. We felt kind of invested in a little bit and I'm sure more so than others, but, um, I, I really enjoyed that. So thanks again, Jennifer. It was really great to catch oh, you. My pleasure. The PDX executive podcast is a production of that cast a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.